friends approach me with a cool idea or something and I immediately shoot it down because of XYZ and it doesn't work because of whatnot. And it's because that, that's exactly the same way that I treat my own ideas. You know, I come up with something and then rip it to shreds. And if you can't, you might be onto something. Welcome to the Behind the Scenes podcast. This is Michael Golab. Today I'm talking to Ryan Metcalf. Ryan started off as a magician, studied stage design at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, and left early to found his company Preview at the age of 18. Preview specializes in creating bespoke VR and AR visualizations, virtual reality and augmented reality. They started out doing theater set design projects that allowed producers and directors to see and walk around a set without it physically being built. The productions they've worked on include Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, Come From Away, Bats Out of Hell, the musical, and Moulin Rouge, and the clients include The Barbican, The Southwark Playhouse, and Sonia Friedman Productions. Previews worked on projects in cities around the globe, including Melbourne, Toronto, New York, and LA. They've also since expanded into architecture, construction, and live event production. Ryan shares how having worked as a magician improved his approach to business and life, how challenging and destroying your own ideas can help you succeed, the power of combining seemingly unrelated disciplines, the importance of good relationships, when it pays off to be cheeky, the significance of taking a broader perspective and so much more. And now I bring you Ryan Metcalf. Hi Ryan. Hi Michael, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being here. How would you describe what you do in a few sentences? So I'm the Managing Director of Preview and since 2016 Preview has been providing visualisation and theatre production consultancy services. We've since branched out a little bit but at the core of what we do is working with productions usually as early as the original drafts of the design to visualize how a show is going to look in a particular venue or potentially a number of venues we work with the team on building those designs from potentially comprehensive plans or just an idea to create visualizations that allow the producer the director the designer the whole team to virtually step into that world and understand it and not mm. need to jump on a flight to go somewhere or to actually build the set. So you can be making decisions years in advance um, without the financial outlay of actually building anything or, or traveling somewhere. We since we since kind of have, have changed a little bit, but at the core of what mm. we offer, it is that, that visualization service. What's actually the difference between uh, virtual reality and augmented reality in simple terms? So with virtual reality, we are completely replacing everything that you can see and how you move. So you, you wear a headset that completely takes over your vision. And if we set it up in a room that has full tracking, you can actually walk around. And as you move, say, one meter forward, the virtual you moves one meter forward in the space that you're exploring. So that is mm. great for completely replacing what you can see so if you are trying to look around a theater that's in new york and you are sat in london then completely replacing your vision is what you want with augmented reality it is a bit of both so it is using the real life world that you are in and overlaying a 3d model onto that and, and sticking it to that so if we're doing that through a headset it is usually glasses that allow you to still see the real world but we will superimpose our 3D on top of that. We don't need need to do it with a uh, with a headset. It can be done through kind of apps um, on on a phone or on a tablet, where you can be looking at a space and see what a a model is looking like 
within that. The the main kind of use case for that is, say, instead of traveling to your, your theater in New York or whatever, say, if you were sat in London already, potentially in an office that was above the theater, what's the point of us coming in and laser scanning that if you can just walk downstairs and look at it? So yeah. we can just build the set design and show you what that is overlaid in the actual space. And most of our work is in VR, but we do a little bit of AR as well. So right at the start of, of Preview, I mean, to tell you a little bit of the story of um, the abridged version of how Preview got to where it is now. So I kind of had the idea right at the start of, of drama school, and I was in my first year there, and VR technology was kind of on the horizon, and I was aware of it. And I thought that it would be cool to kind of connect the two of them. So I started writing some programming um, or writing some software, doing some programming for what would ultimately become what Preview now is. And I was doing this in my my dorm room um, in the halls at Guildhall and my little room that, you know, would would make Harry Potter's cupboard under the stairs look roomy <laughs> and uh, sat sat in there doing, doing the programming for this. It's also ironic that you're a magician yourself and then you ended up working on Harry Potter, isn't it? It's, it's good, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> but also, you know, I was, I, was a, I was a huge fan of it um, as, as a kid, as a teenager. I was, I was a big fan. It was a big part of growing mm. up for me. So it was pretty cool, pretty special that moment to to have that first meeting to be. I remember, you know, I was, I was stood on stage in the Palace Theatre as, uh, as Sonia Friedman came in and, and we had that first meeting. So it was quite, uh, it was quite cool. But yeah, so I was, I, I programmed it um, when I was, when I was in, in my dorm room, should have been having a social life. And VR headsets still weren't out yet. And you could just place them on pre-order and there was no defined date for when they'd come out. And I remember the one place in London that they were available um, was Harrods. You, you, that was the only place from which you could pre-order it. Others, eventually, you could um, you could place a pre-order, but they had an exclusive deal. So I remember going along there and they had one unit there that you could try out and play with. So I had to go on it and, and placed an order for one. And about six months later... They, they were out so I went over and, and picked I think I bought two actually I bought two from Harrods and I, I went over and, and picked them up and came back and plugged it in and thankfully what I'd been working on for the last six months nine months maybe um, it just worked and mm. the, the thing that I'd been building I'd just been building a 3D um, 3D model of a set design and I put a headset on and was standing on it in my dorm room and I remember showing all my flatmates and, and they came over and had a look at it and the reaction was was great obviously and it, you know it was, it was brilliant and it was a lot of fun and then pretty much the day after that I, I, I set up a company I, I did all of the paperwork and, and and made it official and this was yeah back back in May of 2016 so I, I set all that up a few weeks later I did a kind of launch as it were, at Guildhall. So I hired one of their rooms out and invited people along and you could put a headset on and walk around this set design. And yeah, it was great. But then, you know, not a huge amount happened. I did a little bit of um, bit of CAD work on the World Expo in Kazakhstan, but it wasn't really kind of any VR visualization. It was just straight up 3D modeling and, and CAD work. So it wasn't, you know, wasn't that 
that uh, wasn't that innovative. But what really kicked things off was going to Plaza, which is the the industry backstage exhibition, and I I basically blagged my way in there. And this this comes back to magic actually. So obviously exhibitions are expensive dues and. And for preview, I, I didn't raise any funds. Um, I didn't. I didn't get external investment. It was the, the startup costs were the costs of doing the paperwork um, to set up a limited company, the cost of the headset and a computer, and that was it. You know, it was uh, there, there was there wasn't cash in bank to splash it around on on marketing budgets. So I didn't have tens of thousands to go to Plaza and and to book a stand and to go there. So I ended up blagging a spot for free. Um, with uh, with a, a lady called Darren who who had this kind of large stand booked, and I got this free spot, this tiny tiny little corner there, um, and and it, and it was in exchange for doing a little bit of magic, and that was it. And and so I I, I would do a little bit every now and then during the day, probably nowhere near as much as I'd agreed to do because I was so inundated with people coming along to have a look at the VR stuff. But that was kind of how I got in there. But the the ballsy move um, at, at Plaza was that the 3D model that I'd made was the set design of Hamilton. Because I was just a little fanboy of it, really. And I was obsessed. I loved it. I loved it so much. So I'd made this 3D model of Hamilton. I knew it was going to the Victoria Palace. This was before it was confirmed. I don't know where I heard it, but I knew. So I, I modelled a albeit pretty rough version of the Victoria Palace, plonked my set of Hamilton in it, and that was what I showed at Plaza. And to clarify, I had absolutely nothing to do with Hamilton. <laughs> I, I It's like zero, nothing to do with it. But that was what I showed there. And it got attention, and it got a lot of it, and it got a lovely write-up in the stage um, by a good friend called Rob Halliday, who, uh, well, he's now a good friend, but but at the time he was just a you know an, an industry icon, and it got a lot of attention, and that was kind of all through the ballsiness probably of of just basically BSing this and never really truly clarifying that I had absolutely nothing to do with the production, but. Because of that, two days later, I was in Cameron's offices um, to talk about wow. it. And, and a few weeks later, I had a meeting with David Corins, the designer of Hamilton in New York. So, you know, I think that that at the start and that initial, um, I suppose, leap of faith or, or leap of cheekiness, maybe, um, was, was what set things off. And it's always hard, well, it's impossible to say what would have happened if I hadn't been at Plaza, um, I think I'd have probably still still gone on to, to do things like this or to work on things like this, but basically everything at the start of, of previews life or of my career can be traced back to the people that I met there, you know, and, and, and most, mostly to, to Rob Halliday, to be honest, you know, it, a lot of it can be traced back to him personally and still mm. can to this day, but he introduced me to uh, to Gary Beeston, the production manager of Harry Potter, and that all became came about because of that. So that one event probably snowballed everything, and that just came from say a little bit of cheekiness um, and a little bit of a little well a lot of luck and um, a a four year long 
career as a magician that was there, I was meant I was able to get this spot for free. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gone. You know, I just wouldn't. I wouldn't have gone. I didn't have. I didn't have the cash. I didn't have, you know, like twenty grand to spend on a stand. It just wasn't happening. So, wow. Yeah, a lot can be traced back to to that event in those two days or those three days. It's pretty. It's cool. an amazing story. Yeah. Yeah, I've got um, I've got like a few moments like that where you just wing it or you um say you you be a little bit cheeky and uh, you've just got to go for it. I don't really as much now. Um, obviously the established connections and whatnot you can't go around just um just winging it or being being cheeky or or just straight up making stuff up <laughs> you've sometimes got to be a little bit cheeky anyway with marketing and with getting your work out there especially when working on projects that specifically forbid you from talking about them so in previews second year we were we you know we we were actively working on Harry Potter at that point. I think probably a couple of productions of Harry Potter. And we just couldn't talk about it. Just straight up couldn't talk about it. It got a bit silly because if somebody asked you what you were working on and you responded with, sorry, I can't talk about it, everybody knew that meant Harry Potter. So, you know, didn't matter at the end of the yeah, day. It was Harry Potter or Star Wars, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. It was either one of them. Like, if <laughs> you're either working at Pinewood or or, uh, or on Harry Potter, that was it. Yeah. Um, it's really silly how our industry works, isn't it? In that, you know, there's such open secrets, um, especially regarding projects that people are working on. But is what it is and, and the silly code names and everything but hey ho it is what it is but it, it put us in a really difficult situation during the second year of preview i was still needing to approach people with basically like no portfolio despite the fact that we were working on harry potter i had worked on on harry potter and a few other things and all of them were confidential and it was ridiculous because i was still needing to have these conversations as if it was an idea as if it was a concept and it would drive me insane people saying oh yeah that's a cool concept and it that's obviously tailed off now because you go to an exhibition and you put the name of our clients up on on a banner behind you and nobody comes along and says that's a cool concept but for the first year two three years we absolutely had that all the time and it, it mm. almost became a running joke in the company that somebody would come along we, we had this one particular person who at plaza she would she, she came along um year after year and and every time we'd we'd add more projects to the banner behind us, and every year she would tell me or one of my one of my team, um, yeah, cool concept, keep working on it, and one day you know it might get somewhere. And we you know it's like really silly, um, but but that was kind of what what we had, um, especially when we couldn't talk about things. So we did have to get a little bit cheeky um, with marketing and 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 how we do things. But thankfully now we have a incredible incredible list of clients with whom we're privileged to work um and and projects that never in a million years would would have expected to work on and now we can just loud and and, and proudly share them with with people so yeah no need to resort to um cheeky marketing anymore we live in a world where we're scared of change we don't mm. want to rock the boat too much where many people have great ideas but when it comes to the execution we get paralyzed we fear failure we're mostly risk-averse, especially when the current situation, the status quo, is kind of okay. What makes you execute your ideas? What drives you to innovate and try new things? 
in spite of, I'm sure, a lot of people advising you against it and in spite of your own doubts. What would you say is the thing that drives you and to, yeah, to do all of that? There's, there's certainly people who advise against it, um, as I'm sure we all kind of come across in life. And at the very early stages of the company, there were people, including significant industry figures who did not like the idea of it. And it was, it was very much, you know, there's a way of doing things and this isn't it. So did, did receive that initial pushback in term, in terms of how I actually kind of go for an idea, I'm still, you know, you, you risk manage as much as you can, or, or you, you try and minimize that. And I think that's the role of any entrepreneur or producer, you know, you, you sit and you weigh up all of the potential issues with something and mitigate as many as you can. And once you meet that threshold of mitigating as many as you feasibly can, then you, you, you go for it. Um, if it, Mm. if it makes that, that cut off, but I, I get really excited about new ideas and innovation and technology and having that spark of an idea, especially with something like preview at the early stages of that, where, my background prior to theatre and prior to drama school, my background was in architecture visualisation, not particularly professionally. I'd, I'd, I'd done a few projects, small projects, but actually sitting with those skills and now being thrust into this world of theatre and performance and live events and actually going, there's a way to marry these two together. And nobody else was really doing it. So it, it was about planning and and just going for it, you know, and, and still that, that moment pops up every now and then, um, there's some new exciting projects that I'm working on and you do, you sit down and you go, okay, nobody is doing this. And then first you ask why. And if it's because you're the first one to have the idea, then amazing, but chances are you're not, you know, there's, there's probably a reason that somebody else has has said no to it. So you've got to look at that and go, okay, why is it financially? Is it because they haven't got the technical skills? Is it you know? And actually find out what that reason is. If it is that you are the first one to come up with the idea, then fantastic and and go for it. But it is trying to do that research, that that analysis on it, mitigate those risks, and then go for it. But it's it, it's an ongoing process, you know. There's you're always learning. Um, I'm I'm still learning how to uh how to run preview you know five years on now but but that's how how it should be i think it kind of reminds me of you know first principles thinking from physics is that you find out what is really necessary for something to to be working yeah i've i've never i've never liked the notion of that's always been the way it's done or you know especially within the theater industry there are so many archaic ways of doing things and it's and it's just because that's how it's always been done and and that's ridiculous you know if there's a cheaper way if there's a better way if there's a more efficient way then why aren't we doing that you know i i I don't obviously tradition is wonderful and is great and there are established ways of doing things because they work but that doesn't mean that somebody shouldn't be able to come in with fresh eyes and say why don't we try this? And I mean, a, a significant producer in the industry very early on uh, in this journey told me that what I was doing or, or, or trying to do was ruining the magic of theatre. And <laughs> as you know, funny as it is, um, 
obviously I disagree and I think that actually giving creatives a platform to to play around and to work and we can visualize those designs it it encourages creativity you know it, it is mm. it is an awful lot cheaper to test out a few design ideas and present them to your producer in a headset than it is to build them and uh, mm. and have a producer say that they don't like it then so i i heartily disagree that we're ruining any magic of theater we're just um we're just changing things a little what do you love the most about your job Really, the the thing I love most is the people with whom I get to work and the projects on which I get to work. You know, some mm. of the, some of those projects are things that I grew up a fan of, potentially an insane fan of, in the case of Harry Potter. And now working on them and and being in the room and being a valued member of the team sometimes genuinely feels like I've won a competition to be there. So it is it is lovely and it's incredible. And yes, of course, the novelty wears off and it's just work at the end of the day. But it's still exciting, you know, working on something new. It, it, it's great. And I am a big theatre fan. So going and, you know, flying to Broadway and watching Moulin Rouge or whatever it may be and, and sitting in that auditorium watching it and going, yeah, I'm I'm a part of that. Or when you're sat mm. there on opening night and all of the work is done and you're there you know dressed to the nines and you are there as part of that team and going i had a tiny tiny minuscule part of this but i had a part of it and that's wonderful and the, the people you know my own team who are absolutely incredible and, and i couldn't do you know any of what i do without them and the other you know the the members of the creative team the production teams on these shows, on these West End shows, these Broadway shows, it's an absolute privilege to get to work with them and say to mm. be in that room with them, being creative. It's incredible. So I think that's the the best part of my job. Mm. I love that about the people as well, because we we just can't do anything on our own, can we? You can't. No, you absolutely nothing. Can't. Yeah, you can have the best ideas, but you just fail if you do it yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and it's something that I've. Um, learned <laughs> over the years or have, have been uh, refining my my views on because I very much was a bit of a, a lone wolf and strived to to do as much as I could myself and you know that's fine and that's probably why the company is in what it is now or the reason that it started but at the end of the day you can produce good things on your own but you can't do anything great or noteworthy or that has a big impact culturally, financially, whatever it may be, without working with others. And mm, absolutely, know, it's it's not just delegating as a as a manager. It is actually actively working as part of that team. And yeah, in an industry like ours, especially, you're never going to get anywhere if if you don't appreciate that and you don't work together. What made you change your view from lone wolf to someone who is able to? yeah work in a group and you know probably just time and age really so our fair because i had a kind of similar journey myself i have to say i always thought right. that i could i could you know you could do it yourself mate but no you can't <laughs> yeah you absolutely can't and also it's so much more fun when you connect with people who are who who are on the same page and who want to do something it is yeah and uh, you know it 
it creates this incredible environment where you do surround yourself with creative people, talented people, intelligent people, and it makes everybody better for it. So, you know, it is difficult sometimes when you're in an environment thinking back to kind of group projects in school where it always ends up with one person doing all of it kind of thing. But actually, uh, in a more professional environment, that's not the case. You know, everybody is there because they are incredible and talented and skilled. So why not use those resources and work together? But I think ultimately it was probably time and, of course, running a company and understanding that you are only as good as as the team that's there with you and mm. being able to delegate and being able to to trust people and and now you know i oversee everything and i still jump in and do uh, cad work and i jump in and do quite a lot of design work and programming but at the end of the day what what's cad work mean so cad um computer aided design so it's it's quite broad for uh, well, yeah, any, any sort of usually architectural work that is happening on a computer, mm. but it doesn't doesn't have to be. But that is 2D technical drawing and 3D technical modeling. So we're working on a computer to produce the, I suppose, the, the blueprints, the plans or the 3D models. In our case, we do a lot of LiDAR laser scanning. So we go into a venue and actually scan the space. So the scanner that we use does about 1 million measurements every second. So we set it up in, in a spot in the venue and it does hundreds of millions of measurements and then we move it somewhere else, do some more to cover all of the blind spots. And then we can stitch all of those together into this giant dot to dot with tens of billions of individual measurements. And then we need to go through and turn that into a nice clean 3D CAD model. So all of that is manual work, um, and that that is kind of CAD work. But oh, amazing! It's 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 take you know we we then take that three D model and then it's taking in the designs that we receive from the design team on a particular production, modeling mm. that and and putting that inside of our venue. But that all mm. kind of comes under the umbrella of CAD. Everything you do is somehow connected to telling stories. Why, yeah. why, why would you say it's important to keep creating good theatre, good films and so on? You know, I think stories are, you know, they're at the core of every good work of art. You know, a, mm. a compelling story, doesn't matter what the medium is. We've been approached quite a lot in the past to use our technology to produce work, but the focus has never been quite where it needed to be. It's never been on the story to be told. It has always been on basically a you know a tech demo dressed up as a performance you know it's using vr it's using ar because it's cool or because it makes a headline but that's that's always wrong to me you know you you use technology as a tool to achieve your end goal of telling the story so whether it is when we're creating these visualizations that ultimately are a stepping stone in that end goal of telling the story always some of the work that we're now producing ourselves or I'm producing myself where yes they are tech heavy but that's not the point you know the, the point is actually what story are we telling here what do we want people to feel what are we trying what's the message we're trying to convey and as soon as the focus shifts away from that to oh this is cool I've never seen this before it's you know it's, it's in a headset or whatever then th then you mm. failed 
you know it's yeah that's that's got to be secondary yes technology allows innovations and allows us to do things through cgi through virtual reality that are otherwise impossible but when you don't use that as a platform to tell an already compelling story then you're using it wrong and how do you find those compelling stories what do you have to find in a story that connects you to it and you think oh god i need to work on this something that that makes me feel and, mm. and and however that may be sad happy scared you know romantic whatever it is something that that makes me feel and and stops me um something that challenges me to think as well i'm not i'm not wild about kind of film and tv that is very much switch your brain off and and you know you just enjoy it there's a place for that obviously but i want mm. to be engaged i want to be you know punished for for taking my eyes off it for five minutes because i've lost what's happening you know i want yeah. i want that i want to be engaged with it so when i find a story whether to produce or to just watch i want to be engaged and i want to come out of mm. it feel, feeling something i think art works incredibly well when it just works on the surface level you know it, it's just fun to watch it's enjoyable to watch and then when you're sat in bed at 1am you go oh my god and and something clicks and you realize some subtext and you realize that there's so much more to it i think that's incredible and obviously when you look back at classic works of art or or movies that are defined or have defined generations then all of them have that you know there's a mass appeal of being interesting and good and a good story but there mm. is so much more to unpick and and that's what i love those kind of stories that just work and you watch it or you read it and then you go about and enjoy the rest of your life but you know you you read online forums or you chat to to people and and you figure out all the little subtleties that you maybe missed you know there's one there's a work of art uh well it's it's a play it's an installation it's immersive theater in new york um i don't know if you've been to it michael it's it's sleep no more by punch drunk it's in, it's incredible it's it's in downtown manhattan in chelsea in this kind of four-story building that is is like a, a 1920s hitchcock style hotel and it is loosely wow. the story of macbeth but you just walk around it for hours and discover it yourself and and it's incredible I've, I've been many times and each time i find something new but but that is something that it's just it you know it, it is just fine as a story um or, or what you're seeing into obviously macbeth is more than fine as a story but i mean the actual um if you weren't to engage it would be okay but if uh. you do engage with it if you do run around this hotel chasing after Macbeth as he runs out of one room and goes to commit a murder. If you do that and if you follow people and if you engage with the story and engage with it is an incredible experience. And those wow. are the kind of things that I love. You know, it 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 requires as much input from you to unlock the potential of that yeah. story. I love things like that. And Punch Drunk they're very interactive, aren't they? They are, yeah, they they really are. I'd love to see that. We're recording this during Corona time, so I suppose that there's no way to see that now. But yeah, well, in the um, post-apocalyptic world after the pandemic, then um, should definitely pop over. It's it's incredible. What I find fascinating in life in general and with what you do is combining different disciplines. 
because we usually either specialize in one thing like biology, physics, business, creating video games, or just set design. But the world doesn't work like that. Everything is more or less connected and the greatest innovations come from someone who sees a connection which other people fail to see. I don't know if you know the story about Nike, like the first Nike shoe sole, how it came about. It apparently was inspired by the pattern of a waffle iron in the kitchen. <laughs> I didn't know. That's cool. Before that, running shoes had spikes which would destroy the running track and the new waffle iron pattern wouldn't do that and it would adapt to any surface you're running on. So the lesson here is that we can find inspiration in literally anything. How did you first develop your idea that came from gaming, virtual reality, and combining it with set design and any other things you combine in your life? Well, if you wind the clock back to when I was, I think, around 13, uh, I, I developed an interest in 3D modeling that came through a, albeit brief, but an interest in working in 3D animation in potentially working for Pixar or, or Disney animation. And I taught myself 3D modeling software, but mm. I, I very quickly moved away from the idea of animation, probably because I found how incredibly frustrating keyframe animating something was and you spend six months working on 30 seconds. So I, I probably moved away from that because of that. Um, but I had these skills then of 3D modeling and CAD and I started using them to do kind of architectural visualization projects from this really young age. But I remember kind of coming home from the theater and building these sets from memory in this 3D software that, that I'd learned or, or that, I, that I taught myself. And I think the first time that I did this, it must have been when I was about 13 and I saw Wicked in, in the West End. It was the first show that I saw. And I came back and I, I 3D modeled the set design. And I would do this for quite a lot of things. And I had this little library of just from memory um, 3D sets. But that kind of got shelved and, and I, I moved on from it. And the penny didn't really drop. Uh, it certainly didn't drop when I was 13. It was many, many years later. That was kind of the the first... I don't know, foray into what I ultimately do. So there was that. And then I moved on and, and was doing other things. And it was whilst I was at college studying my A-levels that I kind of, by chance, came across uh, drama schools uh, and theatre technology. And of course, went went to Guildhall where you and I met. And then actually at, at my audition or my interview for Guildhall, most of what I showed was this portfolio of, of 3D models of set designs that I'd done potentially back when I was 13. You know, that, that was basically my interview. But it was at a time when theatre visualisation wasn't particularly a thing uh, and, and I was showing it as something that I'd done. I mean, lighting visualization and 3D models of set design is, is nothing new. I don't don't claim to have invented any of that. But the level of detail on the visualization and the way that they interfaced with existing theatrical software, that was new. But it all came about because of, I suppose, teaching myself these architectural tools and just having a general interest in theater. And that's where they, they combined together. And even now with the company, you know, the, the aforementioned LiDAR laser scanning, they're all engineering and construction tools that we are basically repurposing to use for live production. 
So it, it's about, you know, finding the, the best tool for the job, wherever that may be, and, and not sticking to, you know, oh, oh, we use this in theatre, we use this in architecture, we use this in construction. Mm. Finding whatever the best tool for the job is and going for that and, and using that and potentially adapting it or writing some software or some code if necessary, mm. but using whatever the best tool for the job is. Do you think that having worked as a magician uh, made it easier for you to combine things and to think outside of the box? Yeah, I think so, absolutely. And even just the other skills that picked up through being a magician, I mean, I I had such a fun time doing that. Uh, mm. I, I wish I'd have kind of kept it up. I'm sure if you handed me a pack of cards now, I could do something with them, but it's been a we long time. We should do time. that. <laughs> we should I mean, don't don't play poker with me <laughs> it's a bad bad idea um not well i'm i'm pretty good at poker anyway as long as you um you don't let me set up anything funky with the deck but you know i i had such a good time with that but even kind of the the skills required in say doing a corporate gig or a wedding where you're being a magician and and you're going around and just approaching people and you're not just winging it because you know exactly what you're doing but it does require this strange brash confidence to walk up to somebody and and just go into that environment and that certainly helped with say the confidence of speaking to people at exhibitions at networking Um, I've never not been a confident guy but that that strange moment of introduction that you've just got to get past. I was doing hundreds of times a night with different people to the point where, you know, it, it just becomes second nature. So there's that, but then also there is the the strange connection with designing tricks, designing illusions. So a lot of what I did professionally was kind of close-up magic to corporate dues to weddings to things like that but it did three stage shows which consisted of some quite big illusions that I designed and the same kind of thinking of all right how do we combine these different disciplines and technologies absolutely carries over to how do we combine different technologies when Mm. it's to do with with architecture when it's to do with theater design so it's it's the same kind of thinking but I think that the main advantage that I gained from that or the main skill that I gained from that is the the networking which is at the core of I think all of our professional lives really it's it's very much um, about who you know but I think it's about you know of course there's luck involved and of course it is about who you know but you've got to be able to put yourself in that situation to meet those people and the only way you do that is sometimes by being a bit ballsy and and going for it that's such an interesting thing because it sounds like a muscle you can train the firstly the combining of things and secondly the the approaching people yeah yeah i mean it's i I imagine it's something that um you know you yourself will have uh, almost been trained in as well um through through your training at Guildhall, I imagine. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's always this leap of faith. I guess it's similar yeah. with being a magician. It's like uh, you've you've done your preparation, and now you just have to do it. And it can go terribly wrong, or it can go well, but you, you don't know. Embracing this in like this uncertainty and security, I find the I don't know the greatest moments of theatre or magic or whatever we do is in this insecurity and in this uncertainty. Because if you want to f- be too safe. I'm sure as a magician as well, if you're like being super safe, then the audience will get bored. So you have to risk something. 
you do you you really do yeah you have to get into the unknown and uh yeah try something and then the risk of you failing is much higher but also the risk or, or the probability of you doing something that'll uh, really move the audience uh is much higher as well absolutely and i think is as well the either the main skill or one of the main skills with being a magician particularly close up is reading the other people to whom you're performing you know basically all magic tricks rely on misdirection they rely on getting somebody to look one place whilst you're doing something somewhere else yeah even for a millisecond you know and and there are so many little ways that you can divert somebody's eye line and it's it's kind of hilarious actually as the person doing it just how easy it is to control people but actually that that understanding and that reading of the room again you know it, it translates really well to presenting on stage um to, to mm. doing a talk to doing a keynote speech or being in a meeting you know understanding people not necessarily misdirecting them but you know just yeah. just being able to to read the room rather well um again yeah. which which came through years of of doing my best to try and figure out the card that people were thinking of how do you personally embrace uncertainty and keep creating your your amazing work do you have any rituals or any mental models you use um i i don't necessarily have rituals i'm i plan a lot um mm -hmm. and and risk mitigate as much as i can i don't particularly worry necessarily i you know i really you don't worry i i i do but i i won't necessarily pursue something unless i can bring down the risk to a manageable level you know to so that there are backup plans there there are it was, it was like you were saying about you know it, it's risk risk versus reward and sometimes the greatest rewards in life come from the things that are the highest highest risk and you've got to embrace that and you've got to go for that but I tend not to to worry about stuff. You know, if, if something goes wrong, I don't really have a moment of panic. The first thing in my, in my head is, all right, so is there a plan for this? And if there isn't, then we make one. And ultimately, you know, something that is sometimes helpful is looking at the grand scheme of things. You know, is this going to be a problem for the next five minutes? Or the next mm. five hours, the next five days, five weeks, five years, you know, and, and make sure you have a proportionate response to it. And mm. I tend not to get particularly panicky or particularly worried about most things because before I kind of pull the trigger and go for it, I've done my best to figure out those scenarios beforehand. And of course, I can't tell the future and, and some, th some things just go wrong and you can't do anything yeah. about that. But I do my best to try and understand the risks and things that could indeed pop up um, and it's still always going to remain uncertain whether that is with the success of a project or what is happening in the world especially right now everything is uncertain and there's no way you can plan for that you know mm. we, we can't realistically right now sit and say what it's going to look like in six months time 12 months time because the world is so uncertain so we can't plan for that but at the same time there's something somewhat relaxing in that not necessarily relaxing but you know it's completely out of our control and worrying about it doesn't achieve anything um so it's it's obviously not as black and white as, as that but i'm quite not necessarily relaxed but 
chill um, in in uncertainty because I've done my best to mitigate any potential problems, and uh, and I generally won't go for something if I can't. How do you mitigate those risks? Do you sit down and make lists of things that could go wrong and then you plan and have a backup plan? Or, yeah, um, pretty much, yeah. Um, mm. And and there are many, many scenarios in which there isn't, uh, you know, there, there just isn't a way out of it. You know, there isn't something you can do. There isn't a fix. If, if it goes particularly wrong, that's it. You're screwed. But for all the scenarios where, you know, there are fixes then then make sure that you go through them and say make a list um i do make lots of lists or just i pl- i play devil's advocate quite a lot um or or joke that i am the dream destroyer especially when you know if if friends approach me with a, a cool idea or something and i immediately shoot it down because of xyz and it doesn't work because of whatnot and it's because that, that's exactly the same way that I treat my own ideas. You know, <laughs> wow. you, you come up with something and then rip it to shreds. And if you can't, you might be onto something. You know, it's if if you can't actually go through it and and tear it apart, then you might be onto something. So, for whatever it might be, for if it's in business, it's usually financial. If if it doesn't work because of that, then um, then then it's not going to work. But yeah, I go through things and and try and yeah break them down. So when I've had an idea or say we I've I've just started producing some work which is really exciting, but before kind of pull the trigger on that, go through it and you go all right. Well, why why is this a terrible idea? And mm-hmm. you you pause the thought that it's a good idea and look at it from that perspective for a while. So you do. There is always going to be a moment where. Now you can't predict the future and you've just got to go for it and it's really exciting when it works out but I do my best to ensure that, that most scenarios are covered if possible mm. so you really think things through that's that's incredible I also love the 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 larger perspective thing that you when something goes wrong you you ask yourself will it matter in five months five years yeah I mean I don't um I don't always kind of rely on that, but it, it it's something that I kind of come back to. If so, if something has genuinely panicked me, which is pretty rare, I'm I'm kind of pretty relaxed, um, and as I say I've gone through a lot of scenarios, or or even if I haven't, and something goes wrong, there's not a lot to be achieved by kind of worrying. I'm very much straight in there with, okay, so how do we fix this? Mm. But sometimes it is helpful to kind of look at the situation externally and try and remove yourself from the emotions that are there and just go okay so is this a problem right now will this be an ongoing problem or will i not care about it after i wake up tomorrow what would be your main advice to someone who'd like to succeed in your your field uh get good at working with other people (laughs) 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 yeah really i think especially within uh, well there's there's two sides there's, there's within theater and within business and i think the same applies for both of them um i think within theater you've got to you've got to bring something bring something to the table bring something to the party in terms of skills and ideas and creativity and talent whether that's from a technical point of view or from a creative point of view but it all comes down to to working with people your ability to work with people Um, you know I think the I've been incredibly lucky to work on some of the largest theatre productions in the world 
but with that you know the team on them they're always lovely and incredible and I think the reason for that is that as people progress through their careers in theatre I know I kind of just jumped uh, a bit of a step but as people progress through their careers you know you get hired because yes you can do the job but also because you're a nice person that people you know people want to work with yeah so true so when when you arrive at these massive productions of these harry potters of the world and the moulin rouge and whatnot the only people that are still around are the nice ones <laughs> so you know at the, at the end of the day yes your cv is important but actually those people skills and respecting other people and being able to work in a team um huh. skills that i didn't have down years ago you know i i i did mess up quite a lot in terms of that um now i like to think i'm i'm at least a little bit better in in that regard in in working with others but i think yeah i think people skills so you know you you're only as good as your team and building mm. relationships with others um ultimately as a managing director you are also the salesman um or salesperson and you will be until you hire sales staff if you ever do and people don't buy from companies people buy from people so yeah. it's about building up a relationship with somebody and actually just to, to put things into perspective the average time lag or lead time between me making first contact with somebody and receiving an order from them is a year so that that is you know it's about trying to nurture that relationship and show that we can genuinely bring value to a project or add value to a project maybe save money make money if we can you know help a production out then we can save money if we can sell a few more seats because we've improved sight lines we can straight up make money for people but it's about building that relationship and yeah most of our projects now it's about a year uh, a year time lag but yeah. those, the, those those bits would be my advice you know it's it's all about people at the end of the day and making mm. sure you're somebody that people want to work with and you get on with um or get on with you that's my priority it's also changing your perspective about not just thinking how can someone uh, be useful for me or how can they help me, but genuinely ask yourself, how can I help them? How can yeah. I be useful for them? And like genuinely ask yourself that. Absolutely. That really changes your whole perspective of like uh, me, me, me to how, how can we get this done together and how can I do something for you? Absolutely. And I think it's similar to uh, how I think most people should approach, say, a job interview you know yeah it's there's obviously this weird power imbalance that exists by nature of one person wanting that job you know and, and one person uh having the ability to give that but it does work for both sides you know you're weighing up whether you are an appropriate fit as much as they want you you know it's you're asking questions to them and, and that does exist also in business you know yes the, at the end of the day i need to sell something because i need to make the revenue that we need to to meet our, our yearly expenses and and mm. that that it's a very simple equation that i got i need to sell x to make x so that we can all have our salaries but it, it is also you know how how can i bring skills to this and how can i work together and, and what can we mutually provide or, or what can we provide that's mutually beneficial 
and yeah at the end of the day invoices get sent and invoices get paid and it's what makes the world go around but <laughs> there's once something becomes more interesting than just the cash um then that's oh, yeah. then then that's that's great that's the kind of relationship you want the kind of relationship where you're actively working together and invoicing is a formality what is your greatest failure and what did you learn from it i have seriously messed up over the years in terms of striking a work life balance and and not doing that and not balancing that and i ultimately I'm happy with where I'm at in terms of my career right now and and my life and personal life. So I don't I don't really regret anything. There are things I'd do differently, yes, but at the end of the day, everything that I have done between, you know, being born and now has has, has culminated in being sat right now in this chair doing doing this podcast and you know, I'm I'm pretty happy with where that is right now. So Yes, there are things that I change, but ultimately my my personality and, and everything I've achieved or haven't achieved um, is build up of that. But I do I do think that I I got the balance wrong for many years. Potentially still do in terms of prioritizing what you know prioritizing the wrong thing in life or the wrong things in life, and wondering what what would have been different. Uh, whether it's friendships, family relationships, or whatever it may be, if I'd have kind of wound the clock back however many years, five years or something, um, with the knowledge that I now have. And I think that it's not, it's not necessary, it's diminishing returns after a certain point. You know, you might work more and achieve 10% more in work, but mm-hmm. lose. 80% of your social life or whatever it may be and, and and not realizing that you're neglecting those to whom you know you, you should be paying a lot of attention and I think it's taken a, a, a worldwide pandemic for me to probably slow down and and realize that and I think as well uh, not not to get too too deep and uh, and and turn you into a, a therapist but <laughs> I, I I think it comes back to as well actually working with other people um, and and I've I've rubbed up people the wrong way a lot before um, of, of over this and potentially uh, hopefully not too recently but certainly throughout um, throughout school and throughout drama school and you know in, instead of embracing working as a team being very much you know I can do this better than you so I'm just going to do everything because that's wrong and um, and nobody should have that stupid uh cockiness that that i did and and there are there are a lot of moments like that that obviously we all just learn from that over time and we end up the person that we are now by by making mistakes and hopefully learning from them i think if you don't Mm. look back on what you were like as a person five years ago and cringe then that's probably a bad sign you know, we we all have these stupid, embarrassing moments. But if you weren't embarrassed by them, that probably means that you haven't developed as much as you as you should have done, really. Mm. How are you going to tackle that balance problem now, or how are you tackling it already? Well, I think obviously now it now the company's grown to 
Um, you know, I've got staff and we've got a team and I'm more than happy to delegate that out because they're all incredible and all way better than me anyway. Um, at, at the start, obviously, it's difficult because it's a startup company. It's going to take over your life for however many years before it, before it is established. But now, you know, there is that. And, and now I ensure that I do, I do have the time um, that I should be dedicating to other things or I should be dedicating to, to myself and to relaxing, which mm. we've certainly all had plenty of um, in, in the past few months. You know, we've all had plenty of time. But a lot of, you know, and another part of that is that a lot of my life was traveling. This is the first time in many years that I haven't been on several trains a week or several planes every month. You know, I used to, there was a period of kind of probably about 2018 and 19 that I was flying to New York every month pretty much. And it takes out of you quite a bit. And it certainly takes out on, on the people who are around you. So that's all ground to a halt now. And even though obviously social life has been somewhat impacted by uh, by a, an enforced lockdown, as necessary as it is, it's, you know, you, you take a moment to actually go, okay, do I need to travel that much? Is there another way of, of doing this, of facilitating it? I still think that if I hadn't have been going for those meetings and being willing to to fly over and to have those those demos um the thing is it's incredibly difficult or well it's impossible to to demonstrate what a vr headset is to somebody through zoom through skype so even though now now everything is established now we've got those studios we've got you know we've we've got headsets set up in studios in new york in london in in canada and melbourne all over the place so now we can just do them by Zoom and I can just ring somebody up. But actually at the very start when, you know, we're flying over to, to meet a new producer on Broadway, you can't you can't do the sales pitch without it. So a bit difficult. But I'm just trying to stay a little bit more uh aware and conscious of actually at the end of the day what, what does what does really matter in life and being aware of the diminishing returns that exist from focusing too much. I mean, I might sound like a big hypocrite in a few months after I've worked myself into the ground by producing something because <laughs> that's that's in the calendar. But it's it's striving to find that balance at least. So what are the things that really matter? Is it, again, connected to people, I guess? I think it is, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, family, friends, relationships. I think at the end of the day, you know, business acumen is um is all well and good but but who who cares <laughs> you know, who 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 cares if you're not surrounded by people who uh you know who you love or who who, who you share some connection with um not to sound not to sound like a, a hippie but uh, everything else doesn't particularly matter um yeah it opens doors to to potentially meet people and to to live an enjoyable life and whatnot but at the end of the day yeah a, a business is a business and there are other things that are important there's a lot of research into this where people at the end of their lives like nobody says i wish i'd have worked more <laughs> exactly everyone says i wish i would have spent more time with my family or with the people i love exactly and we have such a, a tiny limited amount of time 
yeah um, to to do all these things a, a tiny tiny amount of time i mean yeah. ideally it would be like 80 90 years but you might get hit by a bus tomorrow as well so it's it's about um it's about balancing it and and yeah it does sound like a very kind of privileged situation to to sit here and say you know take time off work so that you can enjoy being with your loved ones because actually the reality is that we all need need to work to pay the bills and we don't all have that luxury to be able to just say okay i'm going to fix my work-life balance so you know it is it is difficult and it's a a a probably a, a problem with um society and, and economies on a whole that has now created the situation where you know you, you need to work a ridiculous amount to pay your bills so that you can pay your car to drive into work to work a ridiculous amount mm-hmm. but you know i'm not going to solve that problem but um can maybe solve it for myself what because you know i'm really interested in applicable little things what would you say is there anything you find really applicable from being an innovator and magician, like your daily life, little things you do? In terms of combining things together, I mean, really boring stuff, like I'll write, I'll write software and program things to take care of bits of my life that otherwise would need to be done manually. Um, <laughs> that's pure, pure laziness, that, though. Um, you know, in, instead of uh, just just automating things as much as I can. I think I, I tackle most things in life with the same mentality that I tackle a business project in in that planning, in understanding the associated, uh, not associated risks, but all the potential different scenarios of it. So it doesn't matter what it might be. It might be um, kind of working out or something. I'll, I'll have a, a solid plan. You know, I work with a PT and, and, and he's great, but also kind of I have... You know, miles of spreadsheets monitoring numbers and I and I try and do everything really methodically and scientifically as, as much as I possibly can and manage calories and macros and things or even if if I'm on the racetrack or something like I will I will finish um that session on the track and I will absolutely analyze every single one of those lap times um, and I've got an ongoing spreadsheet of that and if my lap times aren't improving by tenths of a second each time then figure out what's going wrong and and tackling it again so all that kind of very methodical um ways of approaching most things mm, it's all about measuring progress in the long run isn't it mm. it is it is yeah what are your next steps and i mean if you're allowed to talk because i'm sure there's like a lot of high profile things that you're not allowed to talk about <laughs> but yeah what other disciplines are you going to combine ryan yeah, well, in terms of plans for the future, I'd, I'd love to be able to leave the house and go and hug people again. That would be delightful. <laughs> oh, God, tell me about it, yeah. <laughs> but beyond beyond that, um, no, we've got some really cool things on the horizon. A goal of mine for many, many years, and probably the end goal, and ultimately what I want to do is produce, and, and I've mentioned it a few times already throughout this, that I'm, I'm working on producing something, which is really exciting. And it's, you know, it's, it's theatre, it's it's film it's a little bit of both um with with further information to follow but it's it's really interesting because the role of a producer is essentially you know the the managing director of a theater business that is just putting on a show you know you are managing all of that side of things and connecting incredible people and managing the budget and whatnot so so the role of a producer excites me and i think ultimately my plan over the next few years um is, is to maybe take a little bit of a step 
to one side with preview um, still oversee it and still work there but actually focus more on on producing work and this this could be the first step in that process but we'll, we'll have to see so there's that that's on the horizon um mm. and it's a completely new uh i don't i don't want to be as, as cocky to say new art form but but what we're working on and the way that it will be presented to people is is completely new and it's been born out of difficulties faced by the current pandemic um and obviously you can't you can't film anything in person um you can't reopen a theater at the moment you know we, we we can't actually do anything like that so we've we've developed something or, or i've designed something new to be able to produce work uh and our first one is is really exciting um so that so that's that's in the future and yeah i'd, I'd love to produce more um or you know after this produce further things in person theater ideally i think that's ultimately what i want to do but We'll see how things go. Um, I've got a lot of interests, mostly in entertainment, in, in theatre, in film. We had some really cool projects lined up. Um, you know, me, me flying back and forth to LA over the course of last year uh, wasn't just to take some cool pictures on Instagram. <laughs> so but there was other reasons. And, and those are kind of, again, they're in the pipeline, being, being paused a little bit but until until they resurrect and get started again it'll it'll just be the instagram pictures but hopefully one day um i can share exactly what i was gallivanting for and uh, and that's super exciting too uh, would you like to direct as well by the way potentially yeah um i think i'm more interested in the role of a producer because i where where my talents lie i think apart from the the business side of things um it, it's actually looking at something and taking it from 90% to 100%, you know, and, and that's that's what I, what I do when I go see theatre and all of my friends hate me for it and, and my family hate me for it if we, we go somewhere because I'll come out and go, yeah, that was great, but I'd improve it with this and and they think that I'm an absolute killjoy because I'll come out and, and rip it to shreds, but actually that's that's not what I'm doing, you know. You go see a film and you come out and go, good god it would be better if they if they re-edited this particular scene and everyone else goes <laughs> why do you care about it but you know it's it's little things like that so i think my role of of a producer of a hopefully not too much of an asshole nitpicker but actually to come into to an auditorium or or, or to the rehearsal room and and sit with a uh, sorry sit with a, a director and actually go how about this and and just tweak it but of course, a, a director has full creative control and they should have full creative control to crack on. I mean, this production mm. that I'm producing at the moment, we've got an incredible director involved in it. And I'm just saying, yeah, go wild, mate. Do what you want. You know this better than I do. Um, mm. At the end of the day, I might have notes on it, but also you have full creative authority to tell me to shut up. So I I, I would like to direct. I think I need a bit more experience Um I would say experience on the producing side, but actually experience working with directors. I've worked with some incredible directors um, across all of these productions, and I'm good friends with a lot of them. But I don't know whether I would feel kind of up to the task of not just not just tweaking and critiquing, but actually developing from scratch. Because it's so damn easy to just 
critique something. It really oh, is. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. easy. But actually to to sit with a, a, a text of a play in front of you and to go from the first word to the last and build that in your head is a hell of a lot more difficult than somebody just popping in and uh, and and giving you critiques of, of two or three things. So I think I need a lot more experience on that side of things. Um, but yeah, poten- potentially one day. Um, I know you'd like to, wouldn't you? Yeah, definitely. I love, I mean, I love being inside a story and acting in it, but I also like taking the, the outside view at times and thinking like where, you know, how do things come together? Why does this work? Why, why, why doesn't it work as a story? And what are we doing wrong? Why is the story not clear enough? You know what I mean? Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. And I think the most the most fundamental thing, and I was saying earlier about it's just got to work, and then fair enough, you can have subtext that that people can analyse. Um, but you've got to realise that it's such a small percentage of the general public that would actually appreciate those little subtleties. And at the end of the day, it's just got to be a story that is clear, makes someone feel something. They feel like whatever they've spent on their ticket is worth it, and they go home happy. And that and that's it. Um, yeah, you know, you you can focus on doing something that is incredible from a an artistic perspective but at the end of the day you got to sell tickets and 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 you know as long as the story is clear and people aren't confused um <laughs> you know you, you you don't you don't want to require a conversation afterwards in the foyer with people to understand what happened what happened you want to encourage it you know you want people to to chat about it afterwards and and realize things and figure things out but you don't sell tickets by having people leaving going huh i didn't get that you know it's and and that at the end of the day is is kind of you know i think that's priority number one as a, a producer a director it's it's just <laughs> make the thing understandable and clear um and, mm. and, and put to one side pure artistic vision quite quite a lot of the time we get lost um as as you know a producer as a director somebody who's working out because in our head we know exactly what the subtext is you know we we know what the meaning is we get it but actually looking at it from fresh eyes um we realize that all of that is lost and potentially it's it's not clear it's also about making it look effortless absolutely so, you know, yeah your magic or acting or good storytelling so that someone sitting in the audience may think oh i can do that myself but yeah. then because they don't see all the sweat and blood that is behind it exactly exactly yeah where can people find you what's the best way to get in touch with you and to follow your work well i'm on uh, i'm on social media but I don't particularly use it beyond posting occasional photos on uh, on instagram but um people can drop me an email my emails are always open um or similarly pinging me a message across i'm more than happy to to chat with people or to hear new ideas um or if if we're hiring then of course people can get in touch but um the website is uh, is preview.com p-r-e-v-u-e or info app for the email and that will get to me eventually um but yeah, by all means, people should just to get in touch. Um, more than happy to to chat about anything or to to go over ideas. Especially if somebody's got a cool idea, story wise, for something that we could potentially potentially produce and potentially work on. But always happy to to have a conversation. Thanks so much, Ryan. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me to be a part of this. 
Thank you for listening. If you find this podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. You can leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you happen to listen to it and you can share it on social media. It really does help other listeners find us. And make sure to subscribe to get the next episode. Thanks so much for your support.